Welcome in again, another episode of Fifth Avenue Faceoff. I am Chris Mack. He is Eric Tank Grady, and we're diving right into this one headlong. We're going to talk West Coast in a couple of minutes with Eric Stevens. He's out in Southern California covering both the Ducks and Kings. We're going to talk big picture issues with Sean Gentili of The Athletic as well. But Tango, I, I still don't know where I'm at on this question that I'm going to lob at you to start this thing right out of the gate. And it's, is a win like last night's, the comeback win over Colorado in OT with Casey DeSmith standing on his head or at least stopping the puck with his head several times in overtime, the boys not really showing up until the third period and then stepping on the gas late. Is that one of those games that can be what they call a turning point as I make the air quotes with my fingers? Stanley Cup, here we come. <laughs> now, now um, listen, I, I will say, like, the, the common theme is, like, yeah, they found a way to win. And, it, like, I love it. I think I love it because I think we're getting one. Most important question, I think, in Pittsburgh we have right now is, like, goaltending, right? So whether yesterday was an outlier or, or, or not or, you know, whatever, like, we're giving confidence to a goaltender. So that, to me, is, like, right. a huge plus. Um, the second part is, okay, backs up against the wall. Like, immaturity is just, like, we just show up in the second and we just kind of, like, wait for the game to come to us. Like, I love the the part of the team just being, like, no, like, let's just let's just keep grinding, keep finding a way, sticking with it, sticking with it, um, finding a way to stay in a hockey game. Like, to me, that's encouraging because if we can get a goaltender to steal a game, if we can get – like, everything is just big picture, right? Like, this team gets in the playoffs and now you, you see a glimpse of maybe we do have a goaltender who can steal a game against the best team in the league. Like, even the Tampas – the, the the Colorado's like you go through a seven game series four of those games are 50 50 and then it comes down to like who can step up steal a game be a hero so to me I was I was very very encouraged with their ability to just be resilient stick in it and then obviously maybe in weeks and games past like goaltender lets up three or four in that situation and the game's over well like now he's just standing on his head for a period and keeping us in a hockey game um I loved it. <laughs> yeah. So there's not, well, I mean, other than the, the slow start, which I guess let's start here though, before we, we, we rewind in, in a sense to uh, the, the avalanche game specifically, do they have, in your opinion, whether it's Jari when he's healthy or it's the Smith and the way he played against the abs, do they have that goaltending that you think can steal them, forget a game or two in a series, but maybe steal them around in the playoffs. The sample size is not large enough. That's the problem, yeah. right? Like, that's where I think I'm trying to be as overly optimistic as I can. Like, one game, one period doesn't make a season. I, I hope this builds some sort of internal confidence that he can get to that point. So if you're asking me yes or no today, like, no. <laughs> but <laughs> but I'm trying to be optimistic that, like, hey, last night, let's be the, the, the stepping stone to get to that point. But, right. no, you're it's a, it's a valid question. Like, if he can put – this together if one of them can take put it together and like take take charge and, and grab the bull by the horns and say this is my net like that's an encouraging thing like when you look at goaltenders in the past who have won here like matt murray had to out compete mark andre Fleury to get the net we talk about internal competition from the bottom six like i'd love to see two healthy goalies just go toe to toe here down the stretch of like this is my net not you're playing good and now you get pulled and now I'm going to get a week to try it. Like, no, let's right. have two, two, one, a one B that can push each other. And let's see who wants to take the net. So the next logical progression then is let's, let's, let's 
take it positively and say, okay, we think one of these guys might be able to be the goaltender that steps up and steals them around in the playoffs. Can the core, the big three, 87, 71, 58, with that kind of goaltending, or maybe even without that goaltending, maybe just based on what we saw from them when they were on the ice together in overtime, as an example, against uh, against Colorado, can those three still win them around or maybe even two in the playoffs? Because now we're doing the math and the algebra of, hey, if a goaltender steals this much and the 87, 78, 1, and 58 steal this much, well, now maybe we've got two rounds before we know we're in the conference finals. Right, yeah, that's where the depth part comes in, right? Like, I, I'm still the, – the Eastern Conference has to get through Boston, right? Like, right. I, I think the immaturity of Carolina, they haven't – I mean – on, when I watch them, they're incredible. Um, when they're on paper, they're incredible. But, you know, have they gone through the trenches uh, of playoffs to make me convinced that they're unbeatable? Like, not quite yet. Tampa, obviously, they're battle-tested. Um, so, to, if, if we're talking that this group has to get through a Boston and a Tampa, like, no, they're, I don't think they're there yet because we're still missing that that line that we can throw out against the Bergerons and the, and the Pasternak's mm-hmm. and the Marchands that can shut them down. And then, I mean, right now you have to play Sid's line against every other team's top line. That is not a recipe for success in the playoffs. I know he can do that, but when you're getting 22 minutes out of your top, top six forwards, like that's not sustainable over the length of a playoff. So right now I, I still think they're missing a piece or two um, to be, taken like as a, as a real serious like beast of an East, like they were in the past. But I, I think, you know, some, po- some confidence some positivity, maybe give Hex all that confidence. Like maybe we're not a fringe team. Maybe I do need to go out. And I know I promised everybody I'd never touch a first round pick for a trade, but like this team's, this team's better and, and more, more proven than I thought that maybe I do need to go out there and give them something. So as far as the game against the abs specifically goes, you suggested the other day, See if you can take McCarr out of the game or at the very least limit him and then kind of roll the dice with McKinnon. And it looked like that was their plan, even if it wasn't executed all that well in the first couple of periods. Or maybe it was executed well, and that's why we saw Nathan McKinnon just ripping heater after heater at Casey DeSmith. Uh, They didn't really take McCarr or limit him, though, until late when he was quite literally taken out of the game by Jeff Carter. So I'll ask a a two-pronged question here. One is, can this work against other teams? Because they're going to play less talented teams, to be honest, over the next couple of nights out West. Uh, That's one. And then two is, as it relates to the Carter hit specifically on McCarr, is that something he should be worried about hearing from the league on? Um, I think there's a lot of positives to take out of that game. Now, the biggest thing I've noticed, I think we've all noticed with the Penguins, is like they tend to play against who they're playing against, right? Like they play against Colorado. I think it was like a good kick in the teeth the first period of like, whoa, this team's the real deal. But we still have it in us to match their intensity, match their compete. Well, can we go out Friday night against an Anaheim Tucks team? That's playing very, very strong hockey, but it's a little bit more high risk reward, not fully rounded in my opinion. But can we have that same intensity when the puck drops or are we going to wait to see what Anaheim Ducks are going to, how they're going to play us. Um, So that's just kind of, again, the identity of this team that um, I think we're all waiting for is like, when you show up like the Pittsburgh Penguins, like is that identity getting in everybody's face when the puck drops, regardless of who we're playing or, or are we kind of like a wait and see type of uh, type of team. And then when it comes to the Jeff Carter hit, there's, there's two things like for me, I think it's more of, it is, 
seems a little bit more like incidental contact to me, like kind of just like a bad timing type thing. And I'm there, but I'm not there. But judging by how inconsistent the NHL player safety has been and, and the, being that it's Kale McCarr, I do think as much as they try to like pretend that it's an even playing field for all the hits, like certain players get certain uh, level of respect when it comes to injuries and hits and those types of things. So I don't know. I, I think that he'd probably not get a phone call because I think, or whatever the one in person, he's not going to have an in-person hearing, but I would expect right. some sort of conversation about the hit. Were, were you surprised? It didn't seem like there was much pushback from the abs when that happened. I know it was a bang, bang play and maybe some guys didn't even notice the contact that Carter made with McCarr up high. And maybe they did look at the way you just described it as uh, incidental contact. But you would think when a guy of that caliber goes down, as we usually see from teams, whether it's legal, illegal, whatever, a guy of that stature goes down, typically you'll see the other guys on the ice immediately go after the offender in that case, which was Jeff Carter. And it, it we, we didn't really get that out of Colorado, which I thought was odd. Yeah, it was very strange. I, I would agree. Like, I think... You, do you take into account like, oh, Jeff Carter is a proven veteran and he's respected and, um, you know, they didn't, maybe someone didn't see the hit. Like, I think we're at the day and age where if any superstar gets hit, like gloves are just off and it just will right. figure out. We'll actually figure out what happened later. Fight first, figure out what happened later. Um, yeah, I was I was very surprised to see that. Um, I, again, even like as the game progressed, like not much of a, like a response to that. So I don't know if it was just after all-star break and kind of guys trying to figure out the getting back into the flow. But I was very surprised to see that as well. Like not somebody at least just pretending to drop the gloves and just act like it was a, a problem, you know? Yeah, it, it was, it was odd. I thought it, again, like you said, in the day and age that we're in now where it's more about drop the gloves first and defend your teammate and worry about whether it was clean or not later. I mean, every big hit again, even the cleanest ones that you catch some guy in the tracks at center ice, it still usually results in some kind of immediate response, especially when it's on a star like Kale McCarr. But to not see that was interesting, especially from a, a Jared Bednar team who I thought would be, you know, he preached one of the things he, he talked about. One of the first things he talked about yesterday after the morning skate was intensity and which team would find their intensity first. Obviously, the abs found theirs, but that was an interesting moment, especially late in the game where they they lost it. And you could argue without McCarr on the ice for, for most of those final five, six, seven minutes, that's when the Penguins were able to take advantage. Zucker, Malkin, uh, and Rust. Uh, I, I'm a, a bigger proponent of Raquel on the top line. I think he looks great with Sid. And when you get Zucker and Malkin with Rust, I think you get a little grittier, grimier line. That seemed to work last night as well. Yeah, yeah. I, again, like uh, Gino's arguably still one of the best one-on-one -on -one players in the world. But, you know, you still got to have those guys who want to get in the corners and work to get pucks, get in on the forecheck, add a little physicality. Um, you know, when you look at some of Gino's best line mates over the years, he's always had like at least one of those meat and potato guys who will go out, dig pucks, get him the, get him, get him the puck in space to make plays. And that's it. Like I've been, you know, I, I think as a whole, everyone has been a lot has been hard on, on Zucker for the most part last year, the injuries, those things. But I mean, he's come in with some tenacity this year. That's been really aspiring to watch and um, kind of somebody who, you know, I don't know if he listens to the media, but you can tell he's got a little chip on his shoulder that like, I'm going to get back to my roots, my foundation of being a North South meet, you know, hard on pucks type of player. And he's getting rewarded and having some success doing that so far this year. Yeah, especially on that uh, game-tying shift last night. He was playing like, like his hair was on fire. One last thing I wanted to ask you, Tango, before we let you run. 
Um, is it hard to stay focused when you're on these nice weather sunbelt road trips? It shouldn't be in the Pens case, right? Coming off a big win over the Avs, uh, coming out of the all-star break. You sh- most guys were just probably somewhere warm, right? Relaxing for a few days. I wouldn't think it would be too hard to stay focused, but again, it, you get to go to sun- sunny Southern California in, in early to mid February. I would think the distractions loom, even if you've got back-to-back games on on Friday and Saturday. Is it hard for a group to stay focused in that case, or is everybody worried about a tea time? <laughs> no, you know what? I think you're right. You're spot on with the fact that they just came back an All-Star break, and it's you know it sounds like the entire Penguins team was in the Bahamas for for about a week. Um, so I think that does play into account. Like we just got back from break, we're probably feeling a little bit guilty all the food and and, and wine we ate and drank down there. So I'd say this will be more the probably the most business oriented West Coast road trip you'll get out of a team just because they came off of that. Now, if you ask me this question. Like in the midst of December after uh, a gloomy fall and, and hard winter December, I'd be like, yeah, maybe maybe a little bit too much pool time. Maybe uh, somebody's getting sunburned at the pool. Oh. But I'd say this is probably more of a directed at being a business trip uh, just because of what happened last week with the break. Well, before we talk again on Monday when they'll face the Sharks, they will have, like I mentioned, Friday and Saturday back to back the Ducks and the Kings. We laid it out the other day. Hey, this this segment of four games with Colorado and the three out west, you got to get at least bare minimum four points. I hate to change expectations now, but you pocketed the two against Colorado. That was an absolute Ocean's Eleven style heist that you pulled it off and got those two points. So go get me four more now. Go get me four out west. I don't care if it's two in Anaheim and two in San Jose, however you have to do it. I think that feels like this is where we talked about this is an opportunity to leapfrog Washington, to maybe catch the Rangers, to start put, to put some distance between yourself, put Buffalo in the rearview mirror, teams like that that are behind you. Yeah, and we talked about like minor stepping stones throughout the season. Like I don't – like this game on Friday to me is – it's the biggest game of the road trip. And I know it's cliche to say like the biggest next, the next game's the biggest game of the year, but like, that's a game you got to go into a, an environment in Anaheim where, you know, I'm not going to speak for their crowd, but like the, 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 the energy in the building's not through the roof. Like it's kind of like a, it's a self-starter game. You got to find it in yourself to be a professional national hockey league player. And, you know, you're, you're supposed to win that hockey game. Again, Anaheim's playing great hockey, not to take anything away from them. But, like, you got to go in there and you got to get two points. And then when we get into Saturday, which we can't overlook Friday, like, we got to find a way to play, like, a, a hard road game and steal a point maybe two in L.A. But that one, to me, is – that's going to be a tough, tough game to play. But Friday night's got to be the biggest game of the road trip, and then you build from there. Saturday night, a big uh, Dustin Brown uh, number retiring or, or, or honoring as well, I think, uh, out there in L.A. So the Kings may have a little extra hop. We'll see. Uh, I'll let you enjoy the weekend, Eric. It, it'll be good to catch up again on Monday. We'll have a couple games to talk about. And good to see the boys kind of come out of the gate if slow in the first and second period, step on the gas late. Yeah, two points is two points. Huge win to get things started. To, we'll call it the second half. Um, and hopefully they can keep things rolling. Looking forward to catching up with you on Monday. Sounds good. Eric Tangrady, former Penguin, with me a couple times every week here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. When we come back, we take a big picture look at a few things around the league with Sean Gentilly of The Athletic. This, this is Fifth Avenue Faceoff. 
Welcome back into Fifth Avenue Faceoff. I'm Chris Mack at 93.7 The Fan. Thanks to Eric Tangrady. He'll rejoin us again on Monday to break down uh, the first two games of this Western road trip and look ahead to the Sharks. We'll also look ahead uh, to the L.A. teams with Eric Stevens of The Athletic in just a couple of minutes. But speaking of big shots from The Athletic, Sean Gentilly, national NHL writer of The Athletic, joins me now. How are you, man? It's good to see your face. Third place on the broadcast, man. Tangrady's better than me. Eric Stevens well, he, significantly, significantly better than me. So you're scraping you're, the bottom of the barrel. That's you're funny. on the medal stand. I mean, give yourself that much. <laughs> that's hey, that's all. I'm I'm just trying to place. That's it. Hey, wear that big bad bronze proudly. That's all you, my <laughs> man. That's all you. Hey, I wanted I wanted to start with some big picture issues. A lot of stuff that people are talking about coming out of the weekend, obviously, where everybody was down in Fort Lauderdale. And let's start with and then we'll get into the pens and whether Ron Hextall's a lunatic or not. Um, so let's start with the All-Star Weekend nonsense. Like, I appreciate any league that tries to make their All-Star event somewhat different or, I guess, more palatable. It's the second time I've done air quotes with my fingers in today's episode. Uh, but, like, other than target shooting and, and skating around in circles and maybe a, a couple trick shots here and there. I don't know how you make it more palatable. And I don't think Sidney Crosby in the dunk tank necessarily did it. So, you know, when do we, when do we get back to the all-star weekend maybe making sense or are we too, is it too far gone? That's a great question, man. I think, so I think step one is to fix the game itself and I think what you're going to see there at some point in the next couple of years is a move away from the three-on-three format. Because that worked. Okay. It worked to one point. It worked back in 2016. Guys were excited about it, and guys were into it. And it's just like anything else. You know, it loses its it loses its luster. Guys get sick of it and whatever. And that's the vibe I get now is that dudes are ready to move on from it, right? So go back to East-West. Like, And if that means you switch back, by the way, from conference versus conference in five years, then you know, so be it. But just commit right. to flipping stuff over because if there's one thing we've learned it's that dudes get you know tired of it pretty quickly the other thing the tougher one though is uh, and your guess on this is as good as mine is is the skills competition stuff because that was yeah. totally i don't know how much you caught how much you caught of that on friday I, night too but it was it was it was i had i had to watch it i didn't have a choice i was not in florida <laughs> and i still had to watch that uh, stuff from my couch so I, it was a lose 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 for me um yeah it- it, it sucked. It sucked. And yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what else you can do about that, honestly. Yeah, I, I don't either. Um, it, it's look, the Pro Bowl wasn't any better. Uh, it really wasn't. You know, the idea, I get the idea of trying to space things out so that, like, oh, we'll watch this competition here and then we'll come back to the semifinals of this competition here. But it's, th- there's no way to make novelties, things that used to be novelties, any more novel once they've mm-hmm. become normalities and that's what these are it's it's all just normalcy uh, it, it, there's no novelty left in any of this the only thing and uh tango eric tangrady actually suggested this the other day so i'll ask you sean if it, if it makes sense to you because i i think it could be done i just don't know if it's an every year kind of deal is s- split it up by by country or by region or you know give it some kind of international world cup of hockey style flavor where the canadian guy you know the east Maybe the Quebecois are on one team and the Western Canadians. I only said it like that because I'm proud of the fact that I can say Quebecois like that. Uh, the Western Canadians yeah, by the are way, on another there's team. A, some, one, one of my neighbors, by the way, not to interrupt, one of my neighbors no, has, not, a Quebe- has, a, has a Quebecois flag hanging in front of their house. And I always like walk past it. And I do the same thing. 
fleur de lis. Quebecois flag. The fleur de lis. I love it. Uh, yeah. So you know, put the put the put the Frenchies there. I'll be less cultured. Put the Frenchies mm-hmm. on there one team, and 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 put the Toronto guys on another team, and then you know Eastern United States on one, and and maybe Upper Midwest guys on another, and have totally. a Sun Belt team with Austin Matthews totally. or something. I don't. I, that's the only way I can see. And again, to your point, you made earlier, it probably wears off in four or five years. But at the very least, you've got to switch it again. Switch it again. Like whatever. Like to like commit to doing whatever it takes to keep this fresh and keep it interesting. Because the only people that matter, and I've I've said this a million times, but it's true. Like who is the target demographic for all star games? It's eight year olds or ten year olds Mm -hmm. or whatever. These are kids need to watch this and get hooked into it. Because I can remember like the nineteen ninety four All Star Weekend at at the stadium at Three Rivers was like. That was the greatest moment of my life up until oh, that yeah. point. Like, Ken I, like, Griffey it's Jr. Like, hitting dingers into the upper deck during the home run derby. Oh my god! Yeah. Right. So, so that, so those are the people who should be catered to when it comes to this. And the end result is like I defy you to find like an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old who watched, you know, whatever that mess was on Friday night and came away thinking like, wow, that was real. That that was that was really cool. So keep that in mind in the first step towards getting to a point where you are appealing to kids and casual viewers is whatever else is you have to get the guys engaged, like get the competitors in a spot mm-hmm. where they give a shit about what's happening. I don't know if I right. can swear on this. I just realized yeah, that. You, you can, they, and you just did. So that's okay. Well, there you go. But like make them care. Cause we, we saw the hazards on Friday night of what happens if these guys are halfway in, it doesn't work. Right. right? So figure out a way to, to, to get more buy-in from them. And then everything else will fall in place. The other thing, the other big thing about Friday night, and I know like whatever, we don't want to spend the whole time talking about all-star stuff that happened five days ago. But the other thing is like ESPN blocked out three hours worth of time on, on TV for that. And they did not have three hours worth of stuff to do. So at events, like cut back on this lag time where there's, you know, where uh, they're, cutting to commercial and then coming back and we're doing panel discussions with Messi. Like, well, it was crazy. Just a total waste of total waste of time. So add some more stuff, regardless of what it is and figure out how to showcase the actual scale of these guys that are involved. Don't turn it into some joke breakaway contest, you know, nonsense and get them engaged. And I think everything else will fall in place after that. Yeah, because you make a great point. The eight or nine year old who who's just signed up, just you know, got back from his pee wee hockey game that afternoon. What was, or your, whatever, like, what was your what was your you, what was your son doing? You like you 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 have a boy around that is like what, what the hell was he doing on Friday? He he, he, like, he doesn't no way he, he cared. Wasn't, he wasn't even interested. But what's yeah. crazy is the next day when Justin Jefferson was jumping off of trampolines to try and catch touchdown passes that he was engaged with. So look, you can get it. It's that's proof positive. I think that you can get inventive. You can get weird. You can get a little crazy, but it's got to take buy-in from the players to your if point. If you're going to do goofy stuff like that and have Justin Jefferson on a trampoline or have Stefan Diggs playing hide and seek or whatever, whatever's going on with that stuff. Mm-hmm. You got to make sure that it's actually interesting stuff. And it's not just, it's not just hockey players dressed up in silly costumes doing the same shootout moves that we've seen a zillion times. It's crazy. I felt insane watching that on Friday night. I was like, who is this for? Is it for the just, media? Is it for diehard fans? Is it for casual fans or kids or whatever? It appeals to nobody at this point. They need to figure I, it out. 
I felt like the, the you know, the cringe emoji, the one that just goes with all the teeth. That's what mm-hmm. I felt like the entire Constant. time I watched it. Constant. Speaking of cringe, uh, the current playoff format. <laughs> look, I didn't like it when they introduced it. The yeah. idea of the three and three and the two wild cards, because I thought there was nothing more perfect than the one through eight. Big time, high level guys are starting to pair at the same thing now. Sidney Crosby. Uh, Nathan McKinnon uh, over the, the weekend in Florida are saying, yeah, why shouldn't it just be one through eight? Um, I don't think the regular season schedule balanced or unbalanced should have any bearing on how we do the playoffs. Ideally, maybe in a perfect road, you can do that. But if I really want every team to come through my arena in a given year, at least once, I got to be willing to trade something off. And that's the fact that I might only play a team that beats me out by four points in the standings three times in the regular season. Mm -hmm. And I have to be okay with that. I have to understand that even though it's hockey and it's the NHL and it's built on the gate draw as much as any other North American professional sport, I got to understand TV matters just as much. And the best matchups later in the playoffs are what's better for the league when it's on the biggest stage. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, and you, what you said, like I, wish Gary Bettman were paying attention to it, right? Because that, that was his whole spiel at the State of the League address, which he did on Friday night. Friday, I think. doesn't matter. Um, Last he, week sometime. He, it's a, whatever. At some point in <laughs> South Florida, Gary Bettman talked about TV TV ratings and rivalries and whatever else. But he wants he wants it always, right? Where you want to have the you want to have the current format He's also saying we're listening to to uh, ticket buyers who want to be able to. If, if you're in Pittsburgh, you want to see, you know, Connor McDavid come through town, and you want to see, mm-hmm. you know, Jonathan Huberto come through or whatever. And, but they also want to keep like a significant amount of rivalry games and all, all this stuff. Like they're they're, it, it's similar. It's of a type, I think, with the problem that's afflicted the All Star game because you're trying to appeal to all these different demographics, and the end result is you're just kind of splitting the baby. And appealing to nobody, but I think it's clear at this point, you know, based on the last couple of years, and of course this is because it all stems from the fact that it involves the Toronto Maple Leafs. Anything that anything that happens in Toronto, anything that involves the Maple Leafs, it turns into a much bigger deal than it otherwise would. But in this case, I think it's something that's germane and something that's relevant because the Maple Leafs again are going to get stuck playing the Tampa Bay Lightning in the first round of the playoffs. It's going to happen. That's just the nature of the format. That's the nature of the Atlantic Division. So that has alarm bells ringing all over the place, whether it's media or league or, or, or whatever. And that's why it's turned into a thing. That is the main reason that we're having this conversation now, combined with the fact that, you know, that, that, that the sheen's off back from 2016 or 2017, when it was cool, we can see the Caps and the Penguins every year. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, mission accomplished. But it's the same thing. Like, it's outlived its utility, right? We've, we've done it. It made sense at the time. We're six years or eight years or however long in into the in the divisional format. Switch back and go back. Like and it also, if if you want to do a full three sixty and switch back to it again in, in another five years, do that too. Like who cares? Find what works in in and run toward it. And the NHL has always, always, always been bad at that. Speaking of outliving their utility, Ron Hextall was brought in to provide a sense of calm 
to the Penguins front office, I feel, to not spout off to the media every 15 minutes, to not trade the Carl Haglins of the world just to get people to pay attention. Yeah. Uh, spite, and... spite trading, spite trading <laughs> Carl Haglin. Yeah, who, who, who yeah. are we talking about there? I have no idea. Uh, but he was brought <laughs> in to, to calm things down, and he's calmed it too much. He's, he's taken the – he's Jim Rutherford on Valium. Um, and I guess, you know, I, I, I guess my question is this. Do you think, because I know what my answer is, do you think he's really committed to not even putting a first-round pick on the table if that means moving the salary out of a Jeff Carter or Kasperi Kapanen to get something done at the deadline? Or is this Ron Hextall being crazy like a fox and actually negotiating through the media? Because I don't think he's that guy. No, he's not. Like, he he would... (laughs) That dude has no interest in negotiating through the media. He has no interest in talking to us at all. If he had his way, he would just, you know, sit in his sit in his office and watch uh, watch prospect tape and go scout, you know, USHL games or whatever. That's like that's what that's what this dude wants to do. So I, I don't think this is, you know, four D chess from Ron Hextall where he's saying this because as a, as a negotiation tactic. I think he sincerely doesn't want to do it, and I think also whether he real whether he, you know whether this played into the the reveal for him or not, the market is lining up to support him that way. Right. Honestly, because there are so few, it, the, he would, and he, it, his own roster has, has shaped up to, to, to support him not moving on a first round pick. Because if you think about it, that's what they would need to attach to somebody to set, to create cap space. Cause they have 18 grand in cap space or whatever. So do you really want to move out, a first round pick with Marcus Pedersen or whoever, like insert salary dump here. I, I, not, I, no, no offense to Marcus Pedersen because he's been probably their best defenseman this season, right? right. But you're gonna, you would need to attach that first round pick just to clear space to add a, to add a player of uh, of relevance at the deadline, right? And then that just opens up another, another hole in your lineup. So to me, like the issue here isn't necessarily his willingness to move or not move a first round pick. It's the fact that, that he has no space and he Mm -hmm. basically has no tradable commodities because the roster is either guys that are too good to move or guys that have no value on the open market to anybody, let alone one of the teams that let alone a contender with cap space, which there are, you know, five of or, or or however many. Right. So that to me is the, is the bigger issue. Uh, with him and in, in whatever moves they make or don't make down the stretch rather than, you know, Oh, are, are they willing to move or for a first round pick or not like that? The first round pick is step two. First, the, the first step is actually, you know, clearing the space where, where it turns into something viable. It's something when you get to the trade deadline without even enough cap space for a team dinner, um, like you can't even drive through Chick-fil-A for an entire NHL team for what happens. Ser- uh, right. Okay. What, what happens if, you know, uh, Marcus Patterson and Jeff Petrie, you know, get whatever they get into a fender bender on, on in the in the Bigelow Boulevard insanity traffic, right? On, <laughs> on their on, on their way to their on their way to the rink, like what the hell? How we're gonna watch a team play a game with with uh, with uh, with four defensemen, right? Because they because they got they got nothing. It's crazy. You drag, you're gonna drag Mark Friedman kicking and screaming into that lineup, <laughs> and I'm all crazy. about it. I'm all Let's about go. it. We need, Give we need, we need more free. We need more Friedman. We need to free up a place for Friedman, even if, even if it's on the fourth line. Like you're like, who, who cares? Get him in there. 
Yeah. Speaking of people who would, uh, who we'd like to fight, I don't want to fight Mark Friedman. Um, it would be entertaining because he beat. He's pretty short, so like I don't know. We, we'd have a. <laughs> but I think he chance. would willingly he fight me. Oh yeah, you. I, yeah. He mm -hmm. just loves to fight. Both he just us, loves to mix yeah. it up. So both of us at the same time, and he'd still probably win. Um, Certainly. I don't know if you've seen the video of the Florida Panthers mascot, Victor oh. E. Rat, which, by the way, is one of the worst mascot names ever on file in the world does, of mascot. Does it names. circle back? Does it circle back to being good? I, I had that same reaction. I was like Victor E. Rat, and I just like implying that he's russian which makes it perfect he's for southern eastern block yes 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 yes, yes. Okay. the uh the, the, the boynton beach like whatever yeah. yes so victor e rat fighting a tampa bay lightning fan the other day i just saw a clip of this aside from gritty which nhl mascot would sean gentilly most like to fight most like to fight Carlton the Bear from the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh, Let's take him down. We'll do like no, we'll do like well. First off, it's it's U.S. versus Canada. That's always okay. always important. Yeah. I obviously have like a personal kind of distaste for the Maple Leafs because of the way the league's covered and because I of didn't the sense that at all. Center or whatever. Yeah, right. There's a little bit. Of, there's a little bit of a, a spoiled <laughs> a spoiled uh, spoiled grapes there, uh, sour grapes. Coming and, from uh, Pittsburghers, that's rich, by the way. Can you but imagine? Can you imagine that? Yeah, like weird, like weird axes to grind against Canadian cities. Can you imagine? Yeah. Um, in, in, in Carlton, also, it's like a it's like a Fight Club situation. I think with um, whenever whenever Edward Norton beats up Jared Leto, he just says he okay. wanted he wanted to he wanted to destroy something beautiful because Jared Leto's like too cute. He just wants to, like beat his face in. That's <laughs> right. that's what the deal is with me and Carlton the Bear. The bear, the bear's too damn cute. He 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 does he deserves a he deserves a couple pops there just just for good measure. I thought you were gonna make the comparison instead to um to to Meatloaf and Bob like that's he kind of that's more of a mascot comparison I thought from Fight Club. He's but I, he's I, he's, I, the, he's the he's the mascot of Fight Club. Bob is for sure. That's a hell of a point. R.I.P. to Bob and R.I.P. to Meatloaf. R.I.P. Loaf. Um, I actually had somebody tell me. That they were at a celebrity golf tournament a few, this is a while ago, actually. And Meatloaf was in the celebrity golf tournament. And their grandfather, the grandfather of, I won't mention which athlete, mm -hmm. but he happened to be from Pittsburgh. And since mm -hmm. we're talking about South Florida, he may have played quarterback there. His dad <laughs> actually kept calling him Meatball <laughs> instead of Meatloaf. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. 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 Quarterback from South Florida did. Okay. That's, that sounds, that sounds about right. Yeah. So I just think that's uh, fantastic. All right, Sean, we're going to have to do this again soon. Uh, yeah, thanks man, for giving anytime. me a couple minutes and uh, enjoy uh, staying up late for the next few nights to see if this team can actually put together a consistent 60 minutes of hockey. <laughs> all they got to do is play one good period a night. Clearly one. It that's works. all they need. All right, Sean Gentilly, national NHL writer for The Athletic. Thanks again, man. Catch up with Eric yeah, Stevens. Dude. He covers hockey out in Southern California. We'll talk about Ducks and Kings next here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. This, this is Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Welcome back into Fifth Avenue Faceoff as we get ready for the Pens trip out west. They've got the Ducks, they've got the Kings, and then they head up north to face the Sharks of San Jose on Monday. But we start down in SoCal with Eric Stevens, who covers SoCal hockey of the NHL variety, covers both the Ducks and the Kings, joining us here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Eric, thanks for the time today, man. Really appreciate you doing it. No, happy to be on, Chris. I appreciate you, know, you reaching out. Thanks a lot.
Yeah, and no pressure in following Gentilly in a ridiculous conversation of mascot fights, but um, you know how he gets. Uh, anyway, uh, we know how the Ducks have been getting. Um, uh, Sean pointed it out, uh, or Eric Tangrady may have pointed it out earlier. They found some things here and there. Uh, nice overtime win the other night in Chicago, but ultimately still a team that's on the rebuild. And I guess I'll start there. Where are the Ducks on that rebuild spectrum right now? Well, you know, I, I would say that they are pretty early on in it. Um, and and it's, it, it's funny, if you, if you go back really, you know, over the course of the year or so or, to where Pat Verbeek took over um, as, uh, as GM, took over from Bob Murray, I think before then there was a real hesitation to embrace a deep rebuild. You know, Bob had... A number of years of success, uh, uh, you know, with the franchise. They had a couple of runs that got to the conference finals. They didn't quite take the next step uh, there, and I, and I think he tried to keep that going as long as it could. But you know, the thing with that, and as you know, Chris, in in sort of the nature of the NHL, which can be very cyclical, if if you go too far with veterans uh, with you know, players um, who are no longer going to be the ones that were like, like they were in the prime whatsoever. If you don't have that and you don't have, um, you know, ready-made replacements uh, coming up through your system that can be impact players whatsoever, that can set the stage for a big fall and big drop-off. And, and that's really what happened. And I think last year's trade deadline, which as you know, one of the players that, uh, you know, went to Pittsburgh um, with mm -hmm. Ricard Raquel, he, he was one of, four veterans that Pat Verbeek uh, sent out. And I think that that in itself was a big message there that him saying, look, this is going to be a big rebuild. We're going to do this the right way. We're going to build around a new, a newer core of young players, young talented players that we're going to bring up through the system. But this is going to be painful, um, you know, for, for a number of years. It, it, you know, it, it, but it, it, it's something that, um, I think in most corners would agree that it had to be done. So is this a rebuild then, if it's still in the early stages, Eric, that is really not going to step on the gas until they're, for example, free and clear of an Adam Henrique deal? Uh, or or maybe even, I, I think Ryan Strom has signed much longer into the future. Right. He's got three or four years on his deal. Are those guys part of this? Will they be part of this? Or is this all built around uh, Trevor Zegers and Mason McTavish, uh, the young guys, and really it's going to be another three or four years before they even hit their stride uh, in this case? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question, Chris. Um, and, and I think you alluded to it. It's, this team is going to be built around Trevor Zegers. You know, it's going to be built, um, even though Troy Terry is a little bit older, uh, you know, in that window there, I mean, he, he's still 25. He's, it's it's mm -hmm. not like he's 29 approaching 30 and whatsoever. Um, he's going to be part of that. Mason McTavish, you alluded to it. Jamie Drysdale, who's been injured all year, you know, kind of missing a key step in his development, but he's only 20, 21 years old. Um, and then the next, whoever, whoever they do draft um, this summer here, uh, you know, you, you would assume and you would think, you know, bar barring, they continue a run like they're, they're on right now. Right. It takes them out of a, a, a top five uh, draft pick slot. But in this draft whatsoever, you would assume that the player that they will get 
will also be part of that core. Um, that's who they're going to be building around. So yeah, you, does Adam Henry, you know, fit into that? Yeah, you don't want to have a team just full of youngsters whatsoever. Um, but a 33-year-old forward that you know can be can help a playoff team. Um, can be that kind of, uh, you know, supplementary score that, that, that isn't the star of a club, but can certainly help a playoff team and, and, and who's got 19 goals this year. I mean, why not try to see what you can get for him? Because, yes, uh, by the time this team becomes, say, really good again, becomes a contender, he's going to be, you know, maybe 35, 36, 37 years old whatsoever. Um, and he's only got one more year left. So players like him, players like uh, Jacob Silverberg, um, you know, uh, Ryan Strom, yeah, he's more of like a bridge, but he signed for five years. But he's more of like a bridge to that next contention arc. Um, they're going to look to, you know, the veterans, you know, Jack, John Klingberg, maybe Kevin Shattenkirk, Dmitry Kulikov. Those are the guys that they're going to look to move to see what they can get to add to, uh, you know, their, um, um, you know, the currency that they're, that they've built up thus far. Okay. The million dollar question for people in Pittsburgh, uh, particularly in my neck of the woods, my neighborhood, because I went to the same high school as him, the high school team that we all know he didn't make ridiculous, or maybe more accurately, the $6.4 million question um, will John Gibson remain a part of this rebuild? You know, I, I know some people here, in again, this neck of the woods that yeah. pine away for a John Gibson, if only I, I could imagine poor Ron Hextall when, when he takes a look at that cap hit and thinks about what he would have to do to make that happen. But it, what is what? how do the Ducks look at John Gibson first? And then secondly, how do you get a feel that John is looking back at the Ducks, knowing that, yes, he's under contract, he's got financial security, but part of that is it's going to be a long uphill battle to get back to contention. You know, if you remember last year, there there was some rumblings and speculation that he wanted out or whatsoever. He, you know, he he did um, squash that uh, at the time. He, he denied it with me, uh, uh, you know, uh, whatsoever in terms of, you know, wanting off the Anaheim ship. Um, but you can certainly see and certainly understand that if there is a time or or, or a place where he does want to move on um, and be part of a, a team that's more in a, in a win now phase whatsoever. I, I, I think it would certainly be understandable. Uh, I would say that, you know, he needs it, um, especially at you know, his stage of his career. He's a 29 year old. He still has a lot of quality net minding in him, whether or not you want to think or, or whatsoever that he's either beyond his prime or, um, you know, or, or, or isn't the quote unquote elite nut netminder that he right. once was, you know, I, th I think it's hard to judge with this team because again, this is a clear rebuild the, the defense by and large is a mess. I mean, he's playing behind, you know, a, a, a team that really isn't uh, dedicated to being stingy, <laughs> uh, you know, whatsoever. So uh, you have to look at him closely to see that he still has, I, I think he still has some quality years left in him, you know, judging by the saves that he's still able to make these days. But you alluded to it. It's the contract that 
you know, really, you know, sort of, I don't know if it gets in the way mm-hmm. of the deal. If, if Anaheim wants to go that direction or, or, or if John himself wants to eventually go that direction, but, you know, to have that 6.4, you know, cap hit, uh, you know, for, I think it's four more, three or four more years, at least mm-hmm. or whatsoever, you know, if, if, if he were in a better situation, you know, it's a better situation contract wise whatsoever, I think it's possible that he would have been moved right now. Again, what he is right now and what they are, the ducks are in their evolution. It doesn't really match up. And, and do you really need that type of a goalie for, you know, a, a franchise Rebuilding. that's going to be losing yeah. for the next two, three years or so. So, um, the, that that's going to it's going to take some real creativity by whoever Pittsburgh or or any other team or whatsoever that you know that may be interested um perhaps if, you know won't we'll, if the cap ever does go up significantly you know not next year but maybe the year after whatsoever um that may be more of a time where you can see it but then you've got to hope that if you're looking to deal him you've got to hope that he can still deliver a, a high level uh, of net mining at that time. Let's move about 45 minutes, depending on the traffic, an hour up the road to downtown LA, as the Pens will do on Saturday when they take on the Kings. Um, it's the only team in playoff position right now, Eric, that has a negative goal differential. I look up and down the roster, and yes, I still see the Anze Kopitars of the world. I still see Drew Doughty. Um, the, the, some of the big names are still there. So you can look at it and go first, first glance. Oh, okay. They're still the Kings, but so many pieces have moved out. You know, Dustin Brown is going to be honored before Saturday night's game, for example. I mean, that's a guy that was key to what they did when they were at their peak. Jeff Carter is now a Pittsburgh penguin coming back for the first time since leaving. Um, how have they gotten to this point? How are they on the bubble of the Western conference playoff picture with a negative goal differential? Yeah, it, it, it is really something. And, and I think you have to point to the net uh, as being a real reason why that's that's the case. Because if you look at the Kings and you look through their roster or whatsoever, they have a number of good things that are going for them. Those franchise beacons that you mentioned, Drew Doughty, Andre Kopitar, they're still playing well. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, may, maybe they're not peak Dowdy and, and, and Kopitar, but they're still important players for the franchise. And more importantly, they're still playing very well. Kevin Fiala has given them exactly what they were looking for when they traded for him. Um, and, and in Todd McClellan's system um, is, is a pretty sound system in, in, in that, you know, most, the majority of those players are very defensively responsible. You look at some of their underlying metrics um, and, and they're very positive. Uh, you know, in nature, in terms of shot suppression and all that shot generation and all that, it's the net that, that, that you, where you see where that negative goal differential, they, they just weren't getting enough saves from Jonathan quick and Cal Peterson. That's why Cal Peterson was sent to the minors. That's why Phoenix Copley um, is up with them. And Copley, even though, you know, the, the save percentage um, and some of the advanced metrics aren't, you know, eye popping in nature, he still has, has gone 15 and three and he gave them some stability at a time where they desperately needed it because um, early on in the year, 
Um, if you recall, they, they, they got into games where they, they were almost like track meets, where they, were, they would lose 9-8 or lose 6-5 or, or five. very unking characteristic to what they've been. Um, and it's because they just weren't getting enough saves. Um, that going forward, I think that's still going to be a question mark as to how, you know, what they will do. Can, can, do they still feel like they can, you know, stick with Copley as their lead guy? You know, he, he was in the minors at the start of the year, and, and he's never really been, you know, you could say a, um, a guy you could lean on at the NHL level. Or do they look outside of the organization um, and, and try to bring in someone, you know, for this upcoming playoff pitch? Because they're right in the thick of things. I mean, right. it, it's a wide-open Western Conference. Um, and Rob Blake, um, you know, has a big decision to make uh, with regard to his net um, among the other things uh, that he can address on his roster. Well, Eric, I appreciate the insight on both squads uh, that the Pens will be facing this weekend out in Southern California. Appreciate you making the time to do so. And uh, appreciate you again, uh, listening to the nonsense of Gentilly and I, before we got you on the line, but uh, we'll look forward to catching up again. It's, it's great that each team gets to go into every other team's barn at least once so that all the Pittsburghers out in Southern California will get to see their Penguins this weekend uh, and that the Western teams get to come East as well. Although our trips out there are probably a little more fun than your trips back here, given the weather, but a little, uh, a little <laughs> bit, a little bit, but uh, again, I appreciate it, Eric. Thanks. Your coverage is fantastic as well. Eric Stevens who covers both the ducks and the Kings for the athletic. Thanks for joining us on fifth Avenue face off Eric Stevens. Uh, of the athletic thanks again to sean gentilly thanks to eric tangrady i don't know i'm still up in the air as to whether the colorado win was necessarily a air quotes again for the third time in this episode turning point uh because i think it all banks on how they handle themselves out in cali if they come out of the gates with their hair on fire intense looking to bury the ducks early on friday night I think you'll see a team that does some damage in California and really starts to put some distance between themselves and, say, the Islanders, who they'll play uh, next week, or even the Sabres and Panthers, who are still on the bubble of that Eastern Conference playoff conversation. But if they come out slow, as they did against Colorado, will they have to go to uh, overtime maybe to beat the Ducks? Will they struggle against the Kings, who may be amped up in a building full of emotion with the Dustin Brown ceremonies? We'll see. Uh, we will talk again on Friday. We will talk to Kayla Canaram, in arena host for the LA Kings. We'll also talk to Scott Burnside, get a little bit more of a uh, 50,000 foot view on where things are sitting in the league with us getting closer and closer and closer to the NHL trade deadline and whether he thinks Ron Hextall's just bluffing or really has that first round pick locked away in a safe somewhere uh, as the trade deadline approaches. A great game, getting a win over the Avalanche. We'll see if the Pens can duplicate it out west. I'm Chris Mack. Thanks again for joining us on Fifth Avenue Faceoff.